Episode 168, five things you need to know about Asia. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, and Jason Jennings recently returned from a month-long, almost month-long speaking tour and did a little bit of snooping around, and this is our chance to hear about that trip. And uh, I've seen some of your blog posts and social media posts, Jason, and number one, welcome back. Great to see you and be with you again, but it had to be an amazing trip. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much, Dale. It, it was an amazing trip. In total, I had uh, four speeches uh, in Asia uh, and then had about two and a half to three weeks to uh, just snoop around and make some observations. I have been um, I've been to Asia probably I, I think I stopped counting it 50 times. So I've been there at least 50 times. But this was probably the most impactful trip I've uh, I've ever had. To the region, and that's that's what I want to talk about. And I think there's something in the things that I saw for everyone. But can I begin by telling you a little story? Absolutely. I will never forget being a little kid. I must have been six or seven years of age, going to church every Sunday and going to Sunday school. And I I recall a project we had where we took those little. I don't know if they're half pint or pint uh, milk cartons and uh, we drank our milk and then we cleaned them out and we dried them out. And then we used construction paper to color the sides and then we taped up the tops and then we cut a hole for coins in them. And the whole purpose was going to be a project to uh, put our pennies in there over the next couple of months. And then they would all be sent uh, to the starving people in China. And uh, I, I just recall that like it were yesterday. So now fast forward. I'm in my early 20s, very early 20s. Uh, it's got to be like 40 years ago. And I was one of the first people into China. China had just opened up the doors a little bit. But it's not like you could fly to Beijing or Shanghai and catch a cab and stay in a hotel. Uh, at that time, you actually had to have an approved guide, an approved driver. It was very, very limited. And I will never forget, maybe you saw this in one of the blogs I did, I, I will never forget landing in Shanghai, China about 40 years ago at about 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And the guide was there, very, very official, very tight-lipped, I mean, obviously, of the party. And he introduced us to the driver, and he said, now, the drive from the airport to downtown Shanghai is generally about a half hour to 40 minutes, but it's going to be much longer this evening because it's rush hour. And he said, but I promise you, you are going to experience a traffic jam unlike any traffic jam you've ever experienced. And we did, with somewhere between 10 and 12 million bicycles trying to make their way homeward bound, not a car to be seen. Let me tell you something, Dale. If, if you drove a, a road a bicycle in Shanghai today, you'd be a grease spot on the road within, within mere moments. So I've been watching China. I've been watching Asia, Southeast Asia, and experiencing it for a long time. But this is, and, and, and I have sensed over the years that this coming century belongs to Asia and Southeast Asia. I, I really have been. But this trip blew it all over for me. Let me just say it this way I have never seen more money, more building, more new infrastructure, more opportunity in any place in my life. It is absolutely 
wild. I mean, and little things made big impacts on me. I was taking uh, Air Vietnam uh, on, on a flight out of Laos or into Laos. And a brand new airplane, beautiful flight attendants. I was flying economy in that short run, a great meal on this hour and a half long flight. And I'm reading their in-flight magazine, and it says Air Vietnam named Asia's Airline of the Year for two years running. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there, there, there was this big war. I mean, we left Vietnam devastated, and here they are, I mean, with Asia's Airline of the Year two years in a row. Every place you look, you just see new opportunities. So I began journaling opportunities that I thought that I could take advantage of or ways that I could improve my business based on what I was seeing. And it just, it, it, I finally kind of gave up uh, because I, I just had so many entries. I mean, I, and I, I go over this, uh, these entries every couple of days here. I mean, I, I generally, I really walked away with a lot of stuff. So, so although for years I saw things improving in Asia and Southeast Asia, there was always an element of poverty, despair um, right beneath the surface. But I will tell you, I didn't see that anymore. And let me share a couple of numbers with you. Um, and, and these numbers will actually, um, because of the way most Americans view things, they'll actually make some Americans angry. And I can almost hear them saying, well, if you like it so much, why don't you move there? Uh, because they just don't want to deal and confront with uh, the new realities of, of what's happening in the world. Listen to this. In 2020, I, I did this math the other day. In 2020, 76% of China's population will be in the middle class, 76%. Now, you consider they have 1.4 billion people. That means within a couple of years, the middle class in China will be 1 billion people, three times the size of the entire population of the United States. Meanwhile, in America, in the U.S., where traditionally... 70 to 75% of the population was in the middle class. That number is now approaching 50% who are considered to be middle class. In the U.S. right now, it's about 50% middle class. It's about 25% really impoverished, and the remaining people are high earners. So consider the effect of that. Automobiles. In a good year, American automakers will manufacture and sell about 15 million vehicles. There was a a high once of 17, but if you if you look at it over a number of years, it's about 15, 15 million a year. In China, they manufacture and sell 30 million vehicles a year. I mean, twice the automobile market. And uh, so they say that a rising tide floats all boats, and I think that's exactly what's happening uh, in in Asia and Southeast Asia. And so uh, after I got back from the trip, uh, I was in the gym one day. And uh, in my little alcove of lockers, there's about four or five guys, a doctor, a lawyer, the CEO of, a, of an industrial company. We're all there pretty much at the same time. And we talk back and forth and tease each other all the time. And I was talking to one of the doctors who owns the same – he's not only an anesthesiologist, but, he, but he's a very successful business guy. He owns a big same-day surgery center. And so somebody was saying, well, tell us about the trip. And so I'm telling him a few things and telling him about how much money there is. And I remember this supposedly bright – Doc, I mean, who you think would know something, looked at me and, I mean, he had a very nationalist view. He said, well, where, where's all that money coming from? Well, where the hell do you think it's coming from? It's coming from the same place that it comes from here. I mean, it's coming from a bunch of hard working people, scrambling, building, producing, 
exporting, creating, innovating. I mean, it's not like uh, the money is ill-gotten or ill-gained. I mean, it, you, know, you know, it's just as legitimate as the GDP that we produce. And speaking of GDP, so then I did some other numbers. America's uh, gross domestic product is about $20 trillion a year. Um, if you take Asia, Southeast Asia, the combined gross domestic product is $50 trillion a year, which means that Asia, Southeast Asia is a market two and a half times the size of the U.S. So what's my takeaway from this? My takeaway from this is that we have to be faster. We've got to be more productive. We've got to be more innovative. Uh, I mean, Every other, you know, when you're number one, as we were for so long, a lot of people always told me they like being number two. And I said, why do you like being number two? They said, because if you're number one, everybody's chasing you. I mean, you're a target for everyone. If you're number two, nobody's got their eyes set on you. But America was so dominant and number one for so long, everybody is chasing us. And so I think we have to ask the long-term question, what are the long-term implications uh, unless we start uh, moving faster, be more innovative, make more things happen, and really pay more attention uh, to our fast-diminishing middle class. So the big takeaway for me is this, and I'll be happy to answer some questions, uh, but everybody I talk to, I, I say one, one thing, go. You, you need to go and visit Asia. I checked out airfares just yesterday again because uh, I wanted to have accurate information for you. You can basically fly to Beijing, Shanghai, Singapore, Hong Kong, wherever you want to go uh, for $800 round trip in economy. I mean, that's, that's really not a lot of money. You can find great hotel bargains um, uh, on uh, Travel Advisor or TripAdvisor for uh, $100, $125 a night in, in good four-star Hotels. You won't be staying at a five-star hotel, but good four-star hotels. Uh, food, eat like the locals. It's uh, very inexpensive. And so really anybody for $1,500 to $2,000 could, uh, could fly to someplace in Asia and pick any place. Pick Beijing, pick Shanghai, pick uh, Hong Kong, uh, pick Singapore, uh, pick a city, just go and, um, and spend a week. And any place else you want to go in Asia, the airlines over there are just unbelievable uh, from any of those cities I just mentioned, you can catch a flight to any place else in Asia for $100. Uh, all new aircraft. I mean, great airlines. As I said, meals and economy. It's just like a step back in time. And for a couple of thousand dollars, I mean, you could spend seven to ten days and, and you would come home changed. You would come home with a new perspective. You would come home with more ideas for your business than you can possibly imagine. You would come home inspired to work harder. You would come home inspired to be more innovative. You would come home inspired to take more risks. And, and, and you would join the people who, who know. Uh, not be one of the people who don't know and just stick your head in the sand and deny that this could be happening someplace else. So again, uh, I've, I've always loved Asia and Southeast Asia. I, I just, I've always loved it. However, uh, and I've long admired it, However, this trip blew me away. Again, I'll repeat one more time, then I'll answer some questions. More money, more infrastructure improvement, more opportunity than you can shake a stick at. I was, um, I marveled at everything I came across. How exciting. So as I put all those dots together, you, you mentioned, you know, people will listen to this and 
say, well, why don't you go live there? And, and right. that thought never, never crosses my, my mind. But as you enter into this trip to, to Asia, you got to have an abundance mindset, right? The economically speaking, the yes. world is truly flat and yes. there really are no more borders. Take away the supposed right. trade wars, tariff conversations, everything else. You just proved that any one of us can take about two grand and get to Asia and then travel around and see for ourselves, establish relationships. Um, I've, so many people I know are doing work over there. It's, um, it's an opportunity to, to do some introspection. Do I have a scarcity mindset? Like the doctor, right. where's all right. that money come from? Yeah. Where's all that money coming from? <laughs> You've got an abundance mindset. You're saying there's plenty to go around. We're not taking a piece out of a pie. Yes. We're really looking at a smorgasbord of opportunity. And so thanks for highlighting that. Now, now, to those people who would say, well, if you like it so much, why don't you move over there? I would tell you this. If I was 25, I would. I mean, that's where I would be. I, I would plan on spending five to 10 years of my life in Asia. I mean, I would learn, I, I, I would learn Cantonese. Uh, I would uh, learn Mandarin and uh, basic Mandarin or Cantonese. And I would want to spend five to 10 years over there and come home a gazillionaire. I mean, because that's just how catchy it is, and that's exactly what's happening over there. Can I share a couple of other thoughts about the uh, trip with you when I wasn't working? Absolutely, yeah. So I had never been to Cambodia, so I picked up a ticket to Siam Reap and uh, Angkor Wat, and um, it was amazing. You know, back in 1970, 1975, I, I guess you weren't even around, and I was very, very young. But uh, there was a, a whack job over there by the name of Pol Pot. And uh, he worked out, he lived in the small villages. And he started convincing. He led this huge insurgence, the Khmer Rouge. And he said, the elites in Phnom Penh, uh, the elites in Siam Reap, uh, the educated, the politicians, the doctors, the journalists, they have turned us all into serfs. And we do their bidding. And uh, we don't count. And so, of course, uh, he came to power and uh, over a period of five years, uh, brutally murdered. Cambodia had a population of eight million people at the time, uh, murdered three million people. Uh, The journalists were the first to go and the educators, the professors were the next to go and uh, politicians were the next to go. Indiscriminate destruction of 40 percent of the population of the country. Um, I will tell you that it is... um, it is very strange to stand in the killing fields where all the skulls and bones of these three million people are on display. It is just, uh, it is amazing. I, it had a profound impact on me, the same thing as when I visited the concentration camps uh, in Europe. Um, that being said, uh, Resilience is amazing. Cambodia is open for business. The population uh, has now rebounded to 12 to 14 million. It's a tourist-based, lots of tourism-based economy. Uh, Phnom Penh has become a marvelously uh, uh, modern city. And so I, I spent a lot of time thinking about man's inhumanity to man and how something like that could happen. But I also spent a lot of time thinking about uh, resilience and uh, and how resilient 
people can be uh, to come back from having 40% of your population wiped out. And then I would tell you this, Laos uh, had not been to Laos before. Uh, so spent some time in VNTN and I couldn't figure out why uh, I wasn't, uh, this is called a why. When you place your hands together and slightly lean forward in many Asian cultures, it's a why. And so in most countries, I mean, everybody is whying everybody all the time. I, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting wide a lot in uh, Laos. And, um, and I have a rule that uh, I must like something about every place I go. I don't care how long it takes me to find it or figure it out. I, I'm going to find something I like about every place. Uh, Laos was tough. It's uh, dark. It's uh, communist. Uh, it is not the type of capitalism communism uh, that exists in Vietnam and China and uh, other places. Uh, so the, the picture in Laos is pretty dark. But then all of a sudden I got it. I got what it was. I looked at myself and I thought, okay, 62, just about the age that you could have been in Vietnam and uh, bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail and coming back, you know, 40, 45 years after the fact. And I uh, did some research on that too and discovered that more bombs were dropped on Laos during the Vietnam War than all the bombs dropped in Afghanistan and Iraq over the total war. There are still 400,000 bombs buried in farmland that haven't exploded in Laos. So imagine somebody, a foreign power, coming to the U.S. and bombing the Lewis and Clark Trail or the Appalachian Trail, and all these years later, there'd still be four to 600,000 unexploded ordinances, and, and ask yourself what kind of a warm greeting you would give them. So Laos was also uh, a very humbling experience. But just go, 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 go. You, you, you got to go. You got to go. Got to go. Everybody's got to go. And if you take an opportunity to think about businesses uh, serving people, you've got a massive emerging market of opportunity. So it, it's, uh, uh, it is very, very exciting. So that's the final word on it. I'll shut up now. I did a blog and a couple of blogs and uh, we've done this and uh, I'll, uh, I'll stop beating the horse. But uh, um, it had maybe the best way to wrap it up is it had um, a profound a profound effect on me uh, in terms of resilience, in terms of opportunity, in terms of grabbing innovation and running with it, uh, in terms of what it pretends for us in the future. Um, I, and I think everybody should have that exact same uh, experience. Fantastic. Thank you for issuing the challenge. I look forward to the trip and, and I'll, I'll leave it. This as well, listeners, viewers of this podcast. If uh, you've been, you've had the same experience, share your experience. They're all unique. So we would love to see that in the comments section. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you are on Jason's website, send us an email, Jason, the email address that you love to receive correspondence. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jason at Jason dash Jennings.com. And I welcome it all. I'm, I get back to everyone. Uh, right now, I'm about seven or 800 behind. So it might be four or five or six days, but, uh, I'm, uh, I, but I get back to everybody. So uh, Jason at Jason-Jennings.com. Fantastic. While you're there, Jason-Jennings.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. It's really easy. Jason-Jennings.com slash 
iTunes. I'll tell you, Jason is the author who USA Today calls one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. Now you can know you know why. Learn how you can group, uh, how you can book Jason for your next event. Just go to the website, jason-jennings.com. We'd love to see you there. And with that, this is the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. Have an amazing week realizing your potential. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.